0: 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. Wherefore, so the Apostle Paul is writing to the, the church at Thessalonica. This is his second letter to them, of course. And he writes, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfil all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord bless this short reading. We've, uh, we've been for a number of weeks now thinking about... Uh, Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. And we, we did spend some time in 1 Thessalonians. We learned there how the Apostle Paul had ministered amongst them, how he had to flee the um, the city because of persecution, and how uh, he was careful to work out uh, by, by sending Timothy back amongst them uh, to, to, to find out uh, how they were doing. Uh, the Apostle has clearly got a burden for this church in Thessalonica. And he began this little letter, praying for them. And here we come to the end of the first chapter and we discover that the apostle is still praying for his brethren at Thessalonica. And maybe it's appropriate that we just mention that point in passing, that uh, though he was distant from them, uh, though he was only able to communicate with them by letter, and that wasn't sending it by airmail by any means, uh, this would have been taken probably on foot on in, in in parchment form uh wrapped up in somebody's garments maybe. and uh and yet here here he was praying for them and 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 telling them that he was praying for them as an encouragement. To them, and I just think that that's actually quite a nice thing for us to note and remember. We may well be many miles apart, we may well be separated as, as far as an awareness of circumstances and and situations that are occurring day by day in one another's lives, and yet there is a prayer that can go up on behalf of one another and if it was effectual for the apostle Paul to pray on behalf of the Thessalonians to his Savior then it is effectual for us to pray for one another as well so here's the apostle praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ but it's interesting as we look at these last couple of verses uh, just to to see what the apostle says concerning particularly this uh, aspect of worthiness. Um, he said that the prayer that, that he, he, he sent up was that our God would count you worthy of his calling and it might seem a little bit strange that the apostle Paul should pray that the believers in Thessalonica be found worthy of their calling Uh, to glorify Christ. Uh, What possible measure of worthiness might Paul expect to find in these new young believers? Now it's true that the Apostle Paul has noted their faith and he's noted their love and he's noted their, their patience in tribulation. As we've mentioned, it was a church that was persecuted Uh, that uh, manifestation of love was evident when Timothy reported back to Paul and of course he knew that there were genuine believers men and women of the faith amongst the, the, the people there and yet it can hardly be thought that our personal faith and our love one for another and our patience under tribulation can in any way recommend us as worthy before God because we know that any good we have in ourselves is only God's grace and goodness reflected in us so worthy in any way whatsoever seems to be the exact opposite of what redeemed sinners feel. In fact, if anything, it's a sense of unworthiness that most describes our sense of ourselves. If I was to say to you, if I was to invite you uh, to, to make a list of all the worthy things about yourself... Um, that might tend to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, I don't think it would be a very big list. Well, it might be a big list, but after we started thinking about it, we would score them off one by one, I'm sure. Because we long to excel in many ways, but I don't think we ever really feel as if we do. I I would like to love the Lord more than I do. I would like to love my brethren more than I do. I wish I had more faith. I wish I had more patience. I I wish I had more joy in my heart. None of these things I find worthy in myself. I wish I had less doubt and fear about what the future might hold. I wish I was not so judgmental. I wish I was not so easily tempted to sin. I, I... I do believe that the Lord has worked a new creation in my soul. A creation that is perfect and holy and righteous in the sight of God. But I confess with the Apostle Paul that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I do. Actually, I doubt very much that the Lord Jesus Christ will ever be glorified in any quality found in me. I am such a huge bundle of contradiction that even if I might be able to hoodwink another sinner into thinking that there was something admirable in me i certainly could not expect god to count me worthy of any blessing or deserving of any goodness so what does the apostle paul mean then when he says that he prays for these three things these these three prayers that he has firstly concerning their worthiness um, that our God would count you worthy of his calling that our God would fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in you and that our God would accomplish in you the work of faith with power what is it that Paul is asking for here what is he seeking in these prayers well let's just let's just touch on them briefly one by one and then then we'll 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 bring our thoughts to an end. The the first thing is this. The only way that God will ever count a sinner to be worthy, worthy in his sight, worthy in the sight of God, is when he views that sinner in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is referring to here. Paul has been explaining that there will be two distinct groups of people Distinguished when the lord returns it's the, it's the the tares and 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 the wheat there's two groups growing side by side as it were. How do we tell apart the the the, the two different uh, groups those who are the lord's and those who are not? well, we can't. And that's why the Lord said to the apostles or the disciples, no, you don't go, don't go in the parable, don't go and try and take up the tares the, the because you'll just harm the wheat. So there is this distinction. There's those who do not believe the gospel and those who do. And Paul has been speaking about the fact that there will be everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and that will be the portion of those who do not obey the gospel and for those who do believe the gospel the privilege of glorifying and exhibiting every admirable feature and character of the savior forever and ever and ever and ever so that the calling of the church is to display and demonstrate the worthiness of christ in all his gracious accomplishments And in all his provision for us. The church, the body of Christ, every redeemed saint, individually bears personal testimony to the great achievements of our saviour. In his obedience, in his submission, in his sacrifice, in his substitution. And the redemption of our souls. So it is that the very existence of the church, the, the, the fact that there is such a body as the church, the people of God, every redeemed individual believer who comprises that body exhibit and bear witness to the glory of the Saviour and all that he has done second thing that the apostle paul prays for here in these verses is that god would fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in the thessalonians and he's talking about the thessalonians but he could just as well be speaking about us because th- these These New Testament epistles, these letters written so long ago to to, to people long dead, long gone, are preserved because there is a continuity of blessedness that comes to the Lord's people in Christ. So he's talking about us and Christ will be glorified in the judgment of the wicked and in the salvation of the church. Both outcomes... Judgment and salvation reveal the attributes of our almighty God. Holy wrath and holy love both display the glorious and admirable perfections of Christ. And Paul has spoken of how the punishment of the wicked will be demonstrated When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and will demonstrate the glory of Christ's power. So the salvation of the saints demonstrates the perfections of God's goodness. Judgment and glorification, hell and heaven, both display the power of Christ. And Paul has a good hope for the believers at Thessalonica. He has seen evidence of grace in the lives of these people, personally and by reputation. He believed, as he did concerning the believers at Ephesus, that they were God's handiwork. Or as he writes to the Ephesians, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God had before ordained that they should fulfil those good works. And, and so he prays, as he did again for another church, the church at Philippi, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the humble and loving prayer of a pastor for his flock that the good pleasure of God's goodness be fulfilled in the people that the Lord has placed under his ministry. And that's what Paul is saying here. He longed for the good work that he had seen begun in the lives of these believers. He longed that it would continue apace in the lives of his friends at Thessalonica and at Ephesus and at Philippi. This is the heart of the pastor for the well-being of his people. And thirdly, the apostle also made this prayer at the end of this opening chapter, that our God would accomplish in you the work of faith with power. And this is another desire of the apostle for the blessing of his friends they had faith. Paul's testified to the fact that they have faith. He has seen the evidence of that faith personally. He was confident of its divine source. He was confident of its genuineness. You know, some people say, oh, we can't ever really be sure if we've got faith or not. Well, the Apostle Paul was sure. The Apostle Paul credited faith in the lives of these people, and and we, we we mustn't be critical in our spirits with respect to the testimony of other people. Um, we're, we're, we're so grateful when we think of our own lives that the Lord has been merciful to us and we trust that he will be merciful to others also. And the apostle was 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 pleased to, to express his confidence in the genuineness of the faith of these people. Because faith is not a work of man. It's a work of God. And lots of people speak about their faith and of their believing. And of course, many do believe in many things with varying degrees of conviction. But true God-given faith is a rare and wonderful thing. It comes from God. It is a work of God in the soul of man. And it communicates all other spiritual blessings from God to his people that he is pleased to bestow. And faith grows. It starts off little. It develops over time. Sometimes it ebbs and flows. It does not come all at once or remain ever constant. But God is the author of that faith. He is the source and originator of faith, and it is God alone that can bring it to its full extent and maturity by an act of his power. And therefore it is very appropriate that the apostle Paul should long to see that growth and development and maturity in faith in the life of this young church. I truly believe that faith serves the Lord's people By providing sufficient strength and enabling to meet the appropriate need of the day. And I've been spending a little bit of time, even today, with a couple of the Lord's people who are in a very poor way. And I believe that the Lord will be encouraging their faith, even in the depths of perhaps their own souls in a way that they could not vocalise or explain. The Lord does not give us great faith, except he then gives us a cause for it to be greatly exercised. And if we have the great exercise of faith, we may be confident that the Lord will give faith commensurate to the need. He gives a cause and he gives the faith to exercise. Little as our faith might be at any particular time, he will increase it as the need of the day arises. Sometimes a believer becomes afraid because they feel they have not enough faith to see them through an especially hard experience. But remember what Paul has said here, it is God who accomplishes the work of faith and he does it with divine power in the lives of his people. It is not up to us to generate that faith within ourselves. It is up to us to go empty handed to the Lord in our need and ask for the faith that we require. And maybe we should just conclude here by stating that despite the contradictions that we see and feel within ourselves and the doubts and the fears that persist in our own hearts and minds and the failures that we leave behind us in our wake every day, every child of God can be encouraged and comforted by Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians and for them as well. The Apostle Paul says concerning the Thessalonians, and we take it to ourselves. We pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfil all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Amen.